Good morning. How are y'all doing? Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 6. 2 Thessalonians 3. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you it was not because we do not have that right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate for even when we were with you we would give you this command if anyone is not willing to work let him not eat for we hear that some among you walk in idleness not busy at work but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Let's pray. Father, you are such a good and gracious God to us. Thank you for the time that we had just now to worship you with our voices, to lift up your name, to declare how great you are. Lord, we continue to intercede for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, that you would stand fast with them, that you would con continue to strengthen them, give the leaders and the pastors there wisdom in shepherding their sheep. We pray your protection upon the church and upon the people of Ukraine. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Belize. May they continue uh, to work for your glory, Lord. Continue to put their hand to the plow and not look back. Continue to be their sustainer and their provider, Lord, continue to shine your light on them, continue to flourish the church in Belize. And Lord, thanks for this local congregation right here, Liberty Church, that you've planted here uh, 26 years ago for your glory, Lord. And you've done many, many great things, God, and you are doing many, many great things. And we ask that you would continue to do many, many great things, continue to have people uh, be planted and flourishing, continue to go forth with your word, Lord, that you would be lifted up and glorified. Lord, we pray, pray for the Bible quizzers getting ready to take off uh, in just a couple hours for Bible quizzing up in Iowa. I pray they'd have an awesome time, a time of sweet fellowship, a time of worship, a time of quoting your word, Lord. And I pray all those literally thousands and thousands and thousands of verses uh, that those quizzers have collectively memorized, that you would hide that in their heart, have it bear fruit for many, 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 many years, Lord, that each of them would come to know you if they don't in a powerful way, that those that do would use that word um, just like you've given it to us as the sword of the Spirit to do your work. And Lord, let your work uh, <clears throat> be done in us and let your word be done in us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God's word addresses all subjects. Amen? Amen? And that's actually what I want to talk a little bit about today, um, is that God's word has something to say 
about everything. And we want to think God's thoughts. I mean, that's why we study his word. Not to come up with our own thoughts, but to see what he's already thinking, to see what he's already said, and then apply it to our life. So when we talk about like a theology, we're going to be looking at today a theology of work. When we talk about a theology of work, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, we're going to study the word. We're going to study theology and see, hey, what does it say about the subject of work? Say, there's a theology of work, and there's a theology about any subject that we can think of. There's a theology of education. Just just when, when it comes to educating our children, it's not just like, oh, well, what do you want to do, and what do you want to do, and what do you want to... No, there's a, there's a theology of education. God's Word has something to say about educating our children. Even when you think about a theology of the family in regards to children, having children, how many children, God's Word has something to say about that. So instead of just kind of, we live in such an individualistic culture that's really separated itself from the Bible, no, we need to bring ourselves back to the Bible and say... What does God's word say about this particular thing? It's there, and what happens is that there are some believers who know the New Testament, and even that they don't know very well, uh, but they, you know, they, they, they love Jesus and their knowledge of the, of the New Testament. And I'm not talking about new believers, and that's a different subject. I expect new believers to be immature. Every new believer which if you're saved, you were at one point, you were immature in the faith, right? And we, by God's grace, grew. But I'm talking about people who have been saved for a long time and, and their knowledge of the word is like an inch deep. And it's just like an inch deep and it's not even a mile wide. It's like a little puddle on the ground. <clears throat> and they might love the Lord, but, but their knowledge of the word is really just focused on the message of salvation. Now that is the most important message there for us but god's word has so much more to say it's 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 the rule for our life not just our our spiritual life but our entire life not just for our salvation but from our very first breath to our very last breath and so what we don't want to do is we just don't want to be um christians that just have an inch deep knowledge of the word that doesn't do us any good. And, and what happens is, is, is these are the, the, the believers that they don't even know their Old Testament. I mean, you realize that the God of the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament, right? Uh, there is an early, an early, uh, an early church uh, heretic. His, his name was, uh, is actually... You can pronounce it different ways. Most people pronounce it Martian. <laughs> but he was an early church heretic, and, and, and his heresy was that the God of the Old Testament was a different God than the God of the New Testament. God into all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, that is not the case. Like, there is a continuity that we see throughout, from beginning of Genesis all the way throughout, there is a continuity that the scriptures have. It's not... It's not choppy or disordered. It is very much a continual flow. And what we see really as the overarching picture is how God is gathering together a people for his own pleasure from the very beginning. That's what he's doing. So we see that throughout. But that's why sometimes you get, you get believers 
people who say they love Jesus, and yet they also think it's okay to murder, murder innocent children in the womb. That's a disconnect. That's a disconnect in thinking. You can't read God's word and come away thinking that. And you have it on the flip side, too, where, where people's knowledge with the word, they get overzealous in areas that they, they, they shouldn't be overzealous in. And so you saw this in, in our previous political cycle. I mean, you had believers who they loved, they loved Trump just slightly less than Jesus. Just slightly. Okay? And, and every other... Every post on their Facebook was about how great Trump is. That, that is a lack of knowledge about what God wants us focusing on and what he calls us to do and the impact that he wants us to be in the sphere that he gives us. So when we're, if we're going to be people of the word, that means when it comes to something where Paul is addressing in 2 Thessalonians, really the overarching thing that he's addressing in this passage is work. So we will do a theology of work. We will study for a few weeks, what does God have to say about work? And he actually has something to say about it. That's my first point. He has something to say, and he wants us to learn what he has to say. Here's what Thomas Watson said, a famous Puritan. He said, think in every line you read that God is speaking to you. He was talking about the word. Think in every line you read that God is speaking to you, because guess what? He is, right? So when we're talking about a theology of work, is what does God's word say on the subject of work? What is our approach to work? How should we view work? How are we instructed regarding work? All these things help us develop what we'll call a theology of work. Okay, before we look at work in relation to us, let us look at work in relation to God. Look at, keep your place in 2 Thessalonians, but look at, look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's God doing here? He's working, right? It's his work of art. And when God starts the whole story, think about it. How does he do it? By showing us that he's working. And so it, it go, we read the entire first chapter. It's all about God doing work. The very first chapter of the very first book. Then we get to the ver first verse in chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished, what did he finish? He finished his work that he had done. Friends, brothers and sisters, this makes a huge difference in our understanding of work. Because if, if God does it, then guess what? That means it is good and righteous and whole and pure. If God does it, then that means if he tasks us to do it, we have someone who has mirrored and shown us what it should look like, how it should be, what our approach 
should be for it. When God was creating the world, did he have like a bad attitude about it? He's like, okay, today I got to make those plants, you know? I mean, no, he didn't complain. Every day, what did he say at the end? Like, it was good. All right, he delighted in working with the creation. So if God does it, we know that it is good. It's a good thing. It's not something to be endured. It's something to be procured. It's not something that we hide from. It's something that we run to. That is contrary to the modern mindset. What, what's our mindset today? Like, oh, what's the least I can do to, to, to barely scrape by? No, God gives us work to do. So guess what? We do it. And in a real sense, if you think about it, and we'll look at a couple verses later, in a real sense, he stopped short in creation. It's almost like he paused. Why? Because in, 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 at the end of chapter 1, and then in 2, it kind of reiterates it. What does he do? He creates it, and then he bring, brings man onto the scene. And what does he task man to do with the creation? To work, right? So in one sense, like God, God pauses. Now, he's still actively working. But in one sense, it's like he pauses, and he brings man in to do some of that work on his behalf. God wants us to continue the work that he started. Look, if we keep looking in Genesis 2, look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, has sin entered? Sin doesn't enter until Genesis 3. So has sin entered the world? No. So kind of the second point is work is not a result of the fall. God was doing work from the very beginning, but even when it comes to our work, it's not a result of the fall. We do not work because of sin. Work is part of God's good creation. When we are working, we're actually doing what was part of the original creation. So our theology of work, it begins with the story of creation. So work, and this is my third point, is good in and of itself. If God works, work must be good. It's not something to be avoided. We need to see it as something given to us by God to do. And, be, and because it's good, just think about it for a moment. Like, that's why we train our children at an early age with little tasks around the house, you know, menial tasks around the house. That, those aren't meant to lessen, any mom or dad knows, those aren't really meant to lessen the load for mom or, or dad, especially an, early on. If anything, it's, it's much more time-consuming, okay? Uh, teaching your kids to do the dishes initially, much more time-consuming. And, and it's not just to meant to give mom and dad because they're lazy and they don't want to do anything. No, it's meant to train them a truth. Train them with a particular truth in mind. Train them with a set of values regarding what? Work. I know a guy who didn't have his kids do a single chore growing up. A single chore. Some of you, some of you youth are like, can I be in that household? <laughs> not a single chore growing up. Not one. No inside work. No outside work. How do you think those kids turned out? You think they were well trained? They weren't trained to do anything, right? 
So what happened when they got older? They didn't do anything. And youth, let me just speak to you for a moment, younger and older. Like, your parents, I know they give you chores, and you're like, you, pr those things, you probably don't like those. But, but that's your work, okay? You, you don't have 40-hour-a-week job. You're not tasked with overseeing the household at home. You've got chores. <clears throat> and in terms of the, the, the balance of, of the amount of work, uh, many of us would be glad to, to, to swap out that small amount when it comes to the 40 hours that we're doing every week. That'd be like a vacation for us, okay? I know y'all don't feel that way, youth. But that's your work. It comes from God to you via your parents. God wants you doing those. It's a training ground. Being a student is a form of work, okay? Not just homework, but work. It's a lot of work at times. But God calls you at times in that role to be a student, especially when you're younger, okay? So you want to, be, you want to re realize that, that that work, and in that case, when you're a student, it's really designed for a specific, to train you for a specific task. What was, what was Adam's task? I mean, it was really to take care of the garden, right? Specific task that he was given. Any, any, any people who earn their living from gardening here? No. But that's kind of how it worked for Adam, Okay. So he was given a specific task of, of, of gardening, right? Uh, you're giving students a specific task of being a student at, at, at school. So all of us, whether we're young or old, we're called, we're called to work. Adam has this call placed upon him. Okay, God didn't put Adam in some plush hotel like with servants or whatever, you know, to bring him little chocolate-covered strawberries, you know. And he, put him on a, he didn't put him on a tropical island, you know. Those, those are real nice if you've ever been to one. But he didn't put him on a tropical island with, like, little beach chairs and a, and a coconut drink with an umbrella straw sticking out of it. No, I mean, he put him in a garden. And guess what? Any of you that have ever had a garden, usually you don't have one for long. Okay, because it's a lot of work. Right? How many people, if we counted how many times you've, you've had a garden versus how many years you haven't, it, I'm sure the haven't would outweigh the have. Because it's a lot of work to work in a garden. But God put him there to do what? To cultivate it, to keep it, to work it. So Adam was called to work, and brothers and sisters, we are called to work. Might be inside the home, might be outside the home, it might be as a student, but we are called to work. And here's the thing, when, when it comes to our work, there's kind of a near focus in regards to work, and the near focus is maybe the particular job you have at the particular company you have, or it's a particular job that you have in your particular household at home as a mom. I mean, you have a particular role you're playing at a particular place. That's kind of the near focus. And, and Adam's near focus was, hey, I'll give you this, this garden, and I want you to tend take care of the garden. But there's also a far focus because we see that God had bigger plans than just a garden for Adam. He, I mean, he had bigger plans for him. Look back in Genesis 1. In verse 26, Genesis 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said, said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is known as, as the cultural mandate. That's what theologians refer it to. Or as the dominion mandate. His near focus was the garden, but then he's given a task much larger than the garden. Have dominion. He's, he says... In verse 26, let them have dominion and look where it spreads. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, I mean, that's pretty broad. The earth, right? And then he goes on. Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and do what to it? Subdue it. Have dominion over it. <clears throat> Adam and Eve were what we would call the paradigmatic couple. Okay? That's just a fancy name for like they're a paradigm. They're like an example for us. This mandate was given to them, but then by way of extension was given to us. So we have a near role, a near job, one that is specific. Each one of us here has a different role than anyone else. You have a role that no one else has. Okay, You can be the, the homemaker for... You know, that particular home. You can't be the homemaker down the street because that person has a homemaker. You got a role at whatever job you have and you, you play a particular role there. If you left it, they'd likely fill it with someone else. That's your role. That's the near role. But there's also the far role. So that is the idea of exactly what God commands the first couple by way of extension us to do the same. So we're, we're, we're going to our work each day, we're waking up, we're being faithful, we're going there for however many hours we're supposed to be there, and then a lot more usually, but we're doing that. But then, guess what? God wants us to have an influence there, and then he wants us to have a, a broader view, a much broader view than just that little job that we crossed the river to go on the third floor in the fourth cubicle. A much broader view. Subdue the earth. Have dominion over it. God wants us to be, how did Jesus put it? Salt and what? Salt and light. Okay? Yes, at your work, but, but much past that. So there's a near focus and a far focus. And, and, and think about it just for a moment. God, God the Father, gave his own son work to do. Even in in, in, in creation, look, look at Colossians. In Colossians 1, verse 15... It says, he is the image of the invisible God. This is talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. By who? By Jesus. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. 
All things were created through him and for him. He was very much involved in the creation. Not just the Father, but the Son. And if we go back to Genesis, what's hovering over the surface? The Spirit. All three intimately involved in creation. They're all working. They're all working from the beginning. But then if you look at John 4, we see something else. Turn to John 4. This is with the the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. And towards the end, they're asking, they're kind of, his disciples are encouraging him to eat. And he says in verse 32 of John 4, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to, to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Okay, so the Father and the Son and the Spirit are working from the beginning of creation, but then God sends the Son to do a work. He sends them to do a work, and guess what we find out? Turn to John 17. We see Jesus' own commentary on it. Verse 4. This is Jesus. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus himself came in the flesh to do work. I think there's two aspects to it. Some uh, theologians call it the, the passive obedience of Christ and the active obedience um, really, a, maybe a better way or just a more general way of looking at it is when, when Christ came to the earth, um, he had a work to do um, before he went to the cross. I mean, he, he lived the perfect life. And in doing that, <clears throat> and in the process, he, he, he got disciples and he trained them, right? So he had a work that came before the cross. And I think in part, that's why he can say that he accomplished. Like, I've accomplished, up to this point, Father, everything you've tasked me to do, I've completed it because I know the final task is, is right here now. I'm about to do it in the next little bit. But everything you tasked me to do, I've done it. The work that you gave me to do, I've accomplished it. So there's, there's that aspect, and then there's the aspect of, of the work on the cross. The, the work that Christ did to secure our salvation, to give us freedom from our sin. Listen, it, it makes sense then that, that if he gave us his, his son, he sent his son for us. It makes sense that if he gave his, his son work to do, that he would have work for his adopted children to do. Okay, I'd say both both work in terms of the job that we normally think, but also in terms of, of kingdom work, which kind of curtails into what I would consider a, a subset of work, which would be spiritual gifts, because you, you have to work with your spiritual gift. You get a, you get a gift, well, you've got to use it. 
The only way to use it is to do some type of work. If you're serving, you're working. If you're preaching, that's a type of work. Uh, all those different gifts, you, in order to put them into use, you have to work. I, I consider that a subset of work. So it makes sense that he would have work for us to do. We really need a reshifting when it comes to this view on work. And what my prayer is over the next few weeks that, that maybe some of our views is, are reshifted to the way they need to be. Um, but, you know, work is not something that we just suffer through on a daily basis so we can get through it and get home at the end of the night, you know, and get our couple hours of, of, of rest, if, if it is rest. Uh, no, we need a reshifting, and it's not something that we do for years and years, 45 plus years, so that we can re- retire and not work. Now, the Lord wants us always working in, in some way. The question is, how does he want us working? It might not be at a paid job, we might not be getting a paycheck, but he wants us doing work for him and for his kingdom. So, all of that to say is, anytime we're dealing with any subject, we must first come to the Word to see what it has to say. Then, guess what we have to do? We have to bend our thoughts, our minds, our will to whatever the Word presents before us. That might be the toughest part of it. God himself is working, and he then turns and ordains it for us, and he commands us to be his workers. All the way from, from the beginning with Adam and Eve. Adam's a worker. Both his sons were workers. One tended uh, animals, the other tended crops. And work in itself, it's a good thing. And w- when we're at work, whatever it is, at home or away, work is a good thing. It is a good thing. We glorify God through our work. We glorify God in our approach to work. We glorify God through our attitude in our work. And this work comes from God himself. Guess what? If that's the case, then when we wake up tomorrow morning to do whatever work God has for us, we know that he's tasked us himself to do it. It's not a result of the fall. It's not a result of the fall. All, all the work, all the tasks given to Adam and Eve before the fall. Now, is, is our work affected by the fall? Yes. But the task comes before the fall. So we are doing something that is originally created by God for his perfect world. Think about that for a moment. When you're working, it's almost like you're making a theological statement that this is the way it really is supposed to be. We were created for work. Adam was created for work. Eve was created for work. We're created for work. It comes from God himself. It's given to us by God himself. God himself models it. His son models it and accomplishes it. And that's what we are tasked to do. This is only possible through his strength. It's only possible to do it by his spirit. It's only possible to do it when we submit ourselves unto him. But it is possible. And we can do it in a way that truly and clearly glorifies God. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for, for your work, which examples for us the work you want us doing. We thank you that your word does speak on all categories, on all subjects. It's not a matter of if you said it, it's a matter of if we're take, willing to take the time to see what you've said. Lord, let us bend and shape our hearts and minds to what your word says. Let us be willing to submit unto your word in all things. In all things, Lord. We don't want to be the believer that's just an inch deep in his knowledge or an inch deep in his wisdom or an inch deep in his love for you. Broaden it, Lord. Deepen it. Continue to teach us and train us so that we might do as Jesus commanded the disciples, that we would be instructed and obey it. Not just be instructed in it, but we would be instructed and we obey it. And we would do these things all unto you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us? <laughs>